This is the TRA Channel Podcast. Watch the opportunity with Trevor Clark, Mark Isles, and Tim Dillon. Hi everyone, this is Trevor Clark from Tech Research Asia and welcome to the TRA Channel Podcast. Watch the opportunity. Uh, joining me today is Mark Isles and Tim Dillon. Gentlemen, how are you doing? It's the way, it's the way. So this is our this is our second episode of of the podcast, which obviously, as we mentioned in the first one, if you haven't listened, is targeted at uh, um, IT uh, channel leaders across the Asia Pacific region. Um, and we're just hoping to to start a discussion and, and talk about some of the things that we see in the market and talk about the opportunities that people have. And today we're going to talk a little bit about distribution, uh, the future opportunities for, for DISTIs. Um, but before we do that, guys, any anything in the news that you've seen that you've seen come up that's that's caught your attention in the last week and a half or so? Yeah, good one. Well, obviously VMware doing a bit of a changeover on the CEO, which uh, which has been interesting in the absence of Pat Gelsinger. So it'd be interesting to see where they decide to go. He obviously did a great job of turning that thing around. So uh, interested to see what happens with him. And the other one that I spotted that was interesting was the um, was IBM now making their mainframe available um, to developers on a kind of a you know have a have a crack and have a play with uh, spin up some code and, and have basically a bit of access to some IBM. Yeah, uh, the 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 mainframe one there that you, if you picked one that I I picked up as well, um, the, a new entry level Linux one version of the mainframe. Now I remember the mainframe mainframe conversations back in gosh 2010 2011, even earlier than that 2008 when people were saying oh the mainframe's going to die, cloud's going to kill it all off and stuff, and it's still going pretty strong. People who use mainframes use them for you know for for very good reasons and. It's it's they're they're opening it up to to Linux. Um, I think was obviously a really really smart move, and it's it's uh, what I found really interesting from that most recent announcement was was it targeting it at at startups in particular, you know, going after software startups who will build on mainframe. Um, and they've been you know they've they've got an accelerator that they're investing in and so forth. So interesting to see how that goes. You know, giving people a different option from just you know this whole yeah. cloud native thing. Although obviously. <laughs> You know, everyone's going to claim cloud native, even if it's on a on a on a box sitting in a data center somewhere. Um, yeah. But it's uh, yeah, fascinating, fascinating to come out with it. So interesting to see how that that tracks. I mean, yeah. and perhaps perhaps another opportunity for for people who are looking to do something different, you know, rather than just you know the old everyone's migrating stuff to cloud. You know, what's what's, yeah. what's that point of difference? Yeah, something there. Yeah, I remember there being a briefing from a a mainframe tools vendor who remained nameless. So mm-hmm. and there's. In Australia still now, there are still 37 customers with mainframes. Yep. So it's a much fairly narrow market. They're all going strong, you know, so it's a, it's a very well-defined market. So if, you, if you're going after anything to do with it, there's 37 of them. And you yeah. can get it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Predominant government and insurance companies and the like. But Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the thing, the thing I, I guess, if you, if, you, if you look across Asia-Pacific, though, and some of the developing markets, some of the, some of the newer financial services companies and ma- even manufacturing firms are also looking at uh, mainframe as a possibility, too, because obviously in some of those places, there wasn't necessarily great network connectivity in the last few years and not necessarily a, a, an onshore cloud that was close to what they do. So, you know, having... As a financial services company in particular, if you're looking at transaction capabilities, you know it's it's obviously quite proven uh, what a mainframe can do there. So I think that's where yeah. they got a lot of their growth. Um, obviously, the, the cost originally that's hence one of the Linux Linux introductions just makes far more accessible um, to so many more companies. So mm-hmm. anyway, TD, any anything you've seen on on news recently? 
Oh, yeah, it was more a, a clutch of things around the storage as a service market, you know. It was at HP and, and Dell joining the, the, a few of the others in that in that space. And it, I'm not surprised. Obviously, it's a it's a potentially lucrative market, but I'm I'm, I'm more kind of intrigued by the whole how really as a service is it mm-hmm. aspect. If you still got a drop kit in somewhere, uh, you've got a couple of weeks to do it. Well, that's not really as a service. That's wait for a service, not as a service. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, there's been a bit of activity in that space. Um, and, and I suppose that was, that was something I was taking a bit of bit of interest in the, the last week. Yeah, it's a good one, isn't it? Like, uh, <laughs> I like that phrase, wait for a service. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's interesting to see because of that that whole issue of who takes responsibility for that initial cost, you know, and that's always been yep. the thing that a lot of vendors have said to us is, you know, well, why should we do as a service? We're just going to foot the bill for it, you know, um, and particularly local um, branches of international vendors where they, you know, they may have to take that out of their own budgets. It's it's um, it becomes an issue. So it'd be interesting to see whether that does actually become, as you said, you know, switch it on, switch it off, you know. Uh, when I want to, not not in a few weeks when it gets delivered on the data center floor. Um, yeah, and it's you know this look the the the, the payment aspect of it is interesting, right? Because some are doing more leasing driven, but all you know as far as I can work out so far, all of them have uh, a minimum commit and there's a minimum term. And mm-hmm. again, you know if 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 I go back to when we all got swamped with cloud, the first iteration of oh it's you know do this and do that and only pay for what you use. Well, that's you know. It it does run. I know there's more to it than that, but it, at a surface level, you do question the as a service aspect for for some of the vendors that are pushing it. Others, I think, mm. have got it wrong. You know, there's there's a couple there that I can think of, but uh, yeah, it's just, just going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And then, obviously, you've got got to play against the public cloud guys in in some of those workloads, and that's mm. going to be a private game first, and services and everything else second, and that really is going to put the focus on your cost model and the and the consumption basis approach. So yeah, it'd be yep. interesting to see those. You know, it's going to get yeah. it's going to be fun to watch. One one last one last news item I think which which we can't ignore has been the Colonial Pipeline situation over in the US and and the uh, <laughs> ransomware attack from Dark 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 something or other the the group that uh, I can't remember their name exactly. Um, you mean you're again, yeah, I mean it's another one. You know, it's it's kind of like when it the thing that so if anyone doesn't know, obviously there's a pipeline called Colonial Pipeline in the states that got hit by a ransomware attack, and it's now being, um, you know, there's there's fears of shortages of of gasoline across uh, certain parts of the United States, and and people are people are filling up plastic bags and and jerry cans and putting them in their cars. I saw a photo of a a Hummer that got destroyed by a guy who lit a cigarette with plastic bags full of gasoline in his car um, <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> but, but you know, that's, that's not really the technology conversation. But, you know, it's, it's some, fa- some fairly real-life, real you know, impacts of, of, of some of these ransomware attacks which are coming through. And, you know, the thing that, that I found fascinating, though, was obviously aside from the the reactions of people and the kind of decision making that goes with that. Um, 
was the 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 actual group that did it had to actually put out a statement and said our our intention is not to hurt society but to make money like they were kind of rolling yeah. themselves back because you know it's true they run a business they run a you know a business yeah. model where customer service if you like of the people that they're that they're forcing into victimhood are are is still super important for them you know i i remember hearing about people saying that the service they got from the ransomware, uh, from the ransomware actors, was far better than the service they got from their, you know, security instant response provider. You know, they they were telling them exactly what to do, how to repatch it, how to how to get systems back online, and all the rest of it. You know, they they gave them the, and, and how to avoid it in future. Whereas, you know, the, it, it's fascinating, but it's um, it's kind of scary at the same time. We don't see oh, any. Oh, end- Almost makes you think dark side are a bunch of nice guys, doesn't it? You know, it does you know? Yeah. Well, maybe there's two sides to their business, right? One that one that creates havoc, and then one that fixes all your security holes afterwards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they could have separate companies. Yeah, supply and demand. You know, they they yeah, create both. Totally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there you go. We shouldn't really be laughing about it, should we? Because it is quite a quite a, a devastating yeah. impact. Criti- yeah, critical in, critical well. infrastructure conversations. You know. Bang. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all you got to do is look at the the Australian government here and the focus that they're putting on critical infrastructure and protection and all the, mm. the well theoretical new investment above what was already announced. Um, yeah, I think you know that whole critical infrastructure space is there's so much activity going on that we know from some of the security companies we work with how how much of a focus it is. It's it's understandable. Yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. Yeah. All right, well, uh, distribution. Um, a couple of things I wanted to talk about, Disties. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when you, and, and this is some of the research we've done, and obviously we have a, a bunch of distributor clients that we work with um, quite frequently. But just, just some of the data uh, um, that we've we've looked at previously. When you look at the in two thousand and ten, the top global distributors, you're looking, you're talking about Ingram Micro at around twenty nine billion dollars revenue. A year, Avnet at around 16 billion. Arrow was around 14 billion. You know, and then you go all the way through down to some of them just just breaking in the top 10, just just below a billion dollar revenue year by year. And then now in 2020, you've got Ingram Micros at 47 billion dollars a year. Tech Data's at 37 billion. Dai Weibo, which is a Japanese distributor, mm. is hitting 33 to 34 billion. Arrow at 28, and then Cynix is hitting 20 billion. So they've they've just they've yeah. they've had a fairly good run. But you've also got a couple of the Otsuko, which is another Japanese distributor, is now in the top 10 too. So you've also got you know this 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 rise of a couple of the the Japanese distributors coming up as being huge, but also the bigger just getting bigger, aren't they? Yeah, I was saying huge consolidation. It's funny, isn't it? Everyone always talks about the death of distribution and, you know, it's like, it's not the 90s again, you know, it's not the heydays, but there's interest in distribution, you know, private equity money's coming in and not just because money's cheap, but, you know, Ingram Micro, uh, Ingram Micro, Ingram Micro, obviously bought by Platinum Private Equity. Uh, And you've got the same, you know, bought out from the HNA group. Uh, You've had similar deals with the other major major distributors as well. And even locally, even if you look at Dicadata, Dicadata's results, they crossed $2 billion for the first time. And that's a yeah. four and a half, just over four and a half percent EBITDA business. You yeah. know, there's, there's partners out there that would take four and a half percent as a margin. And yet we associate distribution with being a low margin business, but there's clearly still money in, uh, you know, predominantly the 
predominance of that money, much as some of them have, you know, a chunk of software is still coming from hardware. It's still coming from the primary hardware mm. vendors. So there's, there's money in distribution still and growth. It, it definitely growth and definitely scale. I, I do still worry about mm. the margins that some of them do get, though. I mean, so many anecdotal examples of people, you know, doing, you know, taking, um, uh, yeah, a, a, they'll, they'll they'll literally just put the hardware in there for no margin whatsoever to take services or software that sit on yeah. top of it. You know, which kind of hurts for for the rest of the channel and other deals and so forth. And, but I think if we looked at the gross margins, yeah, at least, yeah, run back a bit on TBC though. I'm pretty sure there's there's vendors that do that directly. We know there are partners that do that directly. You know, why shouldn't oh. the vendors do that, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, not, yeah, yeah fair enough. Yeah, fair point. No, I take that point. Um, but what I would say is, though, it, it does hurt. Yeah, I mean, whoever does it, it does hurt business overall. You know, and it only works if it, it helps to be larger in that case. So if you're a smaller company that's yeah. trying to compete in that, you just can't. Um, which is, you know, that's just the nature of business. So yeah, exactly, fair enough. But it does hurt when you're smaller to try and compete yeah. with that. Um, well, the, but the, the real challenge, like I say, though, is going to be you've got two behemoths now, both owned by private equity. Hmm. So that's going to be interesting. Both of them, from what I can tell, from when you look at it, have the same strategy. They both got global footprints, both driving top line revenue. They're both going to push harder into skills. But tech data, obviously, with Apollo, and you've got Ingram with hmm. Platinum. You've got two $50 billion plus organizations. Man, that's going to be a head to head fight. And there's got to be some margin squeezing that. They've got to be looking at other growth areas. You know, the, the private equity folks are smart people, and there's some serious hmm. dollars on the line. So, that's going to get interesting, I think, for the distributors without scale. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, we've seen we've seen new. So you've got the scale at the one side, but we also, and it kind of mirrors the conversation we often have around scale or specialization. You know, you've kind of got those mm. who have gone scale yeah. and done really, really well, or they're specialized in some ways. You know, you talk about a a crayon, for example, who you might not yeah. actually mm. characterize as being a disty, but does you know cloud subscription licensing help for partners at the same time. You know, similar to a RIPE, Australian RIPE was one of our customers as well. Mm. There's a bunch of them who do that speciality stuff. Um, you've, you know, you've got um, Tel up here in Japan who does IoT and, and you know, devices and components really, really well. Or you've got specific geographic distribution, but most of them are, are being picked up um, in any case. But it's... Uh, it's 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 an interesting market. Do you think? I mean, one of the questions I always have though is why. I mean, it to me it makes a lot of sense that private equity is is involved, or if you're leading a very large distributor, that you'd want to potentially look at not being listed, not being public, just as a, as a result of. I don't think I don't think the market understands distribution in the IT world. They understand, you know, logistics yeah. and warehousing and distribution. Say perhaps a retail environment. So you know a your supermarkets and so forth. But when it comes to IT, there's still so many people I know that just don't get what they do. And what do distributors yeah. actually do? You know, well, that's um, a question. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's, well what's, what's the value they offer? I mean, it's... Well, um, well, it's traditionally just been logistics, right? There's the ability for, you know, and where it came from in the 90s was obviously tons of physical products, uh, driven off physical products. You need warehousing, you need logistics, you need somebody to wholesale that for you. That's the heritage. With the shift to software, we've seen a resurgence for this. And a lot of the revenue drive in the last 12 months, clearly, clearly driven by COVID, 
clearly driven by people accelerating some private cloud adoption for sure, uh, but a lot of it just driven by good old-fashioned PCs being shipped out the door, right, with people working mm -hmm. from home. So a nice little hiatus of that. I think we're going to see a softening of distribution revenues moving forward. And if you look at the longer-term trend, software, the role of distributors in a, you know, a two-tier channel model with software is questionable uh, at mm -hmm. best. There's no real reason that you can do that. It's really just a credit risk thing for the vendors and whether they really want to manage that themselves, and particularly for yeah. that longer tail of smaller channel players. But you've got to look at the swing towards public cloud from private cloud and say, what's the trajectory for TIN that's going to get shipped out uh, into an on-premises slash private cloud versus public cloud adoption? So you've got to look at the medium-term flight path for that and say, there's got to be declining amounts of server-orientated TIN moving forward. So we're mm -hmm. going to see the distributors move into value-add services because they have to, because that flight path has to start looking uh, a little differently. And the role of distribution, again, with public cloud, again, the value is difficult to find there, right? What's the role? And I can just go straight to AWS as a channel partner and spin something up and partner yep. with AWS or Microsoft or Google or Ali in Asia. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 it's. I think it's a it's a good question as well because you start to talk about um, you know the uh, as you said going direct for it, and you, when we move into a, uh, if if particularly in mid market and below, um, you know where distribution has also been traditionally quite strong. Um, you know, direct would often be the case at an enterprise level. You don't necessarily need to go through distribution to get fulfillment or anything else as a, as an enterprise customer. But you know, it's that mid market and below where, where the majority of customers, I'd argue, have traditionally been but as they move more to a SaaS environment then you then start to look at it well are they just going to buy through marketplaces you know are they going to just go straight to an aws or a you know an azure marketplace or a gcp marketplace whichever one it may be you know um and i don't know i i don't see a role for distribution in marketplaces though um no i, I don't see it many many have tried yeah i mean it's uh, and to be honest, the, I do I do see a role for someone fixing marketplaces. Um, I, I, and Tim, you and I have done a lot of research um, and work recently on on software companies moving into marketplaces and so forth. But geez, some of them are so hard to hard to navigate and to do anything with, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, I mean, that, let's be honest. The only ones that I think will will ever gain any traction from a marketplace point of view are the ones coming from public cloud. So AWS Marketplace and the Azure Marketplace and potentially Google, they're obviously um, in third place there, but those marketplaces will have legs because um, there's an inherent attraction there for public cloud. Outside of that, difficult to see uh, a long-term business model. Yeah, I mean, I, I see I see a role for them. I just wish they'd fix them. <laughs> the experience is shocking. I've got to say, if, if, if I was going into some of the those... Well, AWS, sure, even GCP, you know, as as we know, TC from some of the stuff we've done, that going in with the hat on as as an enterprise or a mid market customer and trying to find something that is perhaps uh, less than the top ten can be really problematic. Like it's it's it can be quite painful. Um, so yeah, I, I I agree with you on on. Fixing marketplaces—that's that's a broader comment than distribution. But the one—and look, you guys know—I don't spend a lot of time in this place directly with the disties. But I will say, of the well, seven vendors that I've been working with on and off over the last two or three weeks, uh, if you mention disties, they almost make the sign of the cross and spit. Right? They—they they are not happy with disties and and I know that's a it's a very small group and it's it's all ANZ specific so not AP but the the commentary that 
I typically get back is they don't get us, they're not interested, they're hard to work with, their service is terrible. You know, it's it's a litany of 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 complaints from from the vendors about why they would really not want to work with the disties that they're working with. You know, they're they're sort mm. of stuck. It does make me wonder whether there's you know, is there a potential new model? And and I don't know the answer to it. Mm beyond saying, you know, I'm listening to you guys talking about going into evaluated services and all those sort of things. Well, surely that's going to to mean a different engagement model, um, a different service level, different fulfillment approach um, for, for some of the distances they go down that space. Yeah. Because right now, I don't hear a lot of happy campers going, hooray, you know, we've got a great district. I know that, I know some have, right? And I know some are very happy. But that th- does seem to me like there needs to be a new approach yeah. as, model change yeah i mean look, let's, let's be honest right we, we we work with distributors a lot and the, the challenge is it's only the large vendors that move the needle for the distributors you know it's the large it's the dells and the hps and the novos and the microsofts and you know it's the really large vendors that, that make those businesses to the smaller vendors you just you can't put the amount of investment in with the margins you've got with a relatively low revenue stack so if the distributors looking at their line card you know in terms of the portfolio that they've got the 80 20 rule applies you know, more to distributors than anything else. You just can't resource small vendors. Uh, and yet the market for distributors to attract is to generate channels for small vendors. So that the economics just don't work on either side. The opportunity, I still think, and, you know, we've done enough analysis on the flight path for services, uh, and there's a massive skills shortage right now, and we only see that skills shortage getting worse, especially with COVID, because you can't even transport, um, you know, the immigration is much more difficult to get skills even from overseas. Um, so when you look at, what, what should the role of distributor be or where is, could the value be created? Is distributors have balance sheets that are much stronger than partners. They should be building and developing massive armies of skills on behalf of vendors and getting funding and then putting commercial models in place that allows those to be put out to channel partners. And there's your commercial profit engine because they've got scale. They can afford to fund those skills. And if you've got skills at the moment, you're going to win. Yeah, okay, but, is, but who's doing that right now on statistics? None. Uh, no, nobody, not to any great extent. So all of them talk about value-add services, but in, in reality, they're very small um, PS divisions that do, you know, quite tactical services uh, on behalf of a, of a number of partners, sometimes as white label or sometimes as pre-configuration. There's no one really doing it with any sort of real sense of scale. There's the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, sure. I, I guess my question then listening to that is, are they not doing it because they can't get the skills or are they don't see the value or they're just making enough money where they are. I, again, don't know the answer. No, but no typically just, it's, a, it's a very different model. So to get that model to work, you've obviously got to have a really smart recruitment engine. You've got to have a really smart engine for how you get those people put out to partners. You know, you need automation in the onboarding and, you know, and how the projects work. You can't get, ton, you, know, you can't spend a week writing a scope for a, a project that's $10,000. You can't, you've got to be able to do it really quickly. And you've got to have the right commercial arrangements in place with the vendors where they agree, actually, what we want is an army of highly skilled people in cloud migration, storage as a service, whatever it might be. Uh, the vendors would be more than happy to fund that. You know, we spend obviously a lot of time talking to vendors. All the vendors are crying out for more skills in the marketplace, which is just short across the board. So the vendors, vendors are quite prepared to stick their hand in their pocket. There's just mm-hmm. nobody that can do it. Doing it individually to each partner means each partner is going to think about hiring one, two, three, six people. You know, the, the numbers aren't interesting, right? You want somebody to hire 100 or 200. No partner yeah. can do that. The economics don't work. But one, uh, can, you know, the logical place for that is a kind of a, that 
distributor that has, you know, $2 billion, $50 billion business that can hire 100 people. And they're going to be kept busy. So you're never going to get the return on them. Hmm. So it's, 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 you know, distribution of people, distribution of skills. Rather yeah, than exactly. You've got to think of it. Yes, that's exactly right. Mm. Exactly right. Mm. Mm. Not just it. I, I I just want to change. So I think that's one of the opportunities that we, that we that we see. We we obviously don't see the marketplace conversation. One of the other ones I do see though is I one of the complaints I hear a lot from channel partners in particular is that sometimes it's still really really manual, frustrating, and mm-hmm. um, analog to work with distribu- distributors. Um, they've made great steps with some of their portals and then a partner relationship management systems and so forth, but there's still a, a huge opportunity, at least in my eyes and the ones that I've looked at, is in doing a whole lot more automation across the distribution systems. Um, it, there are examples of people doing this already. So Otsuka, for example, here in Japan have you know, and they report this in some of their their public information. They've been, you know, on a on an RPA um, program for some time to to roll out some bots to help with its mm. people and, and its partners to you know to automate some of the the stuff and you know things like filling out your your own profile in the in the distribution portal, you know, another profile that you have to fill out in another portal, um, things like that where they're where they're really striving to to try and get operational excellence for it. And I do see that um, particularly for some of these more bureaucratic. Um, or bureaucracy-driven uh, distributors, mm. which have have low margins. You know, they may be getting it, but you know, because you, you you do one two points on a as a distributor of that size, that's huge. That's a massive return. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Great opportunity there still, um, from my view. Anything else you guys see as an opportunity for distributors? Uh, no, I agree. The level of automation. You know, I was working with distributors in Europe in the early nineties. And we were working on EDI projects then for electronic data exchange in the super early days. We don't seem to have come that far, considering that's nearly 30 years ago. You know, mm. think about the complexities of taking SaaS licensing. Microsoft's a great example, right? About how you take a customer that has a license for, you know, a single Office 365 license who wants to buy it from a channel partner, who wants to buy it from a distributor, who wants to buy it from Microsoft. That chain of, of who's tracking that it is unbelievably complicated. Uh, and mm. still too still too cumbersome. We've got to be able to reduce the complexity in that supply chain. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And I think there's an opportunity. You know, there's quite a few of the distributors have done work in that space. All of them have got fair degrees of, of strong operational systems. You know, Ripe had a platform for that. Uh, the large Ingrams and tech data has also, you know, put quite a lot of money into their IT systems to try and automate that. But, of mm. course, it's different across every vendor. So if you're a distributor with 30 or 40 vendors, You've got to do that 30 or 40 times and yet somehow have a single system that can pull it all together. It's, mm. it's quite a complicated challenge. It is, isn't it? It is for sure. Uh, what about from a from a technology? I mean, there, there's a couple of other things that we see. I don't see many distributors doing industry specializations or industry-specific offerings very well. Um, there's a couple which have maybe one or two there, but there's very few that, you know, that have really fully-fledged industry capabilities. But we see... Very recently, I mean, for some time, obviously, we've been talking about you know verticalizing um, what what we do as as an industry um, far more. But we're starting to see a lot more of that come out. I mean, Microsoft coming out with its vertical clouds recently. We're expecting yeah. other vendors to to announce theirs shortly as well. Um, do we see do we see Disty's going for the vertical touch a lot more? No, I I can't see it. I can't see what's in that for them. 
Um, mm. Partners themselves can't get themselves organized around verticals outside of the, the primary tier. So outside of the really large integrators and distributors, you can take Accenture into Lloyd and, and perhaps some of the bigger partners like the Doricoms and others that have you know, either a government education, FSI um, practice mm-hmm. for some of them. No one else really does that uh, to any great extent, unless they built their business around it and their entire business is an FSI solution. I can't yep. see the distance doing that. To be honest, I, I can't see how they'd make a dollar out of it in, mm-hmm. in really practical terms. I think the vendors have got to step forward. Like say, interesting, Salesforce has been this way for a while. SAP has been this way for a while. Interesting to see Microsoft do that with their own clouds. I think that's a super interesting strategy, but I think the vendors have got to lean into this and reach directly into channel partners around it. I can't see the role for distributors in, in doing anything mm-hmm. around industry. The investment level is too high that I can't see how they'd get a return on it, to be honest. Yep. It, would need fun, it would need funding by the vendor, and in which case the vendor may as well just fund the partners directly, the larger ones. Do it that way. Yeah. 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 All right. Fair enough. Um, TD, what about you around uh, newer technologies, emerging technologies, anything on the horizon which you kind of see, um, you know, whether it's a, a 5G or something else? Is there anything in particular that you kind of say, well, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of activity here. It makes sense to explore. Um, sorry, you threw me with the 5G thing. I wasn't necessarily <laughs> about that. Uh, uh, fair enough. No, I know it's just, it's funny, I just finished a, all the, the judging for the Mobile World Congress Awards for this year and looking at, uh, you know, there were a number of submissions there that were really powerful solutions uh, with 5G and, and, and I can't say what they are, but, you know, they involved an, an infrastructure, 5G infrastructure vendor, the, the service provider, there was a, a managed aspect to it from somebody else and then there was an integration and maybe an IoT right so you, you've got a, a solution of multi-parts very um, great solutions and, and very powerful um, you know I, 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 I look at that scenario and go where on earth does a DISTI fit in that um, and I'm not sure they do at this point in time so, so I was just thinking about that but um, I can't. I can't see a lot of immediate opportunity in that space, uh, and, we, and we're still quite a way away. You know, millimeter wave and all that sort of stuff. Even uh, around the region, there's there's bits and pieces popping up, and China is probably the, the most advanced, followed by Korea with millimeter wave. But you know, we're still a little way away from really strong holistic 5G solutions that will do everything that it's promised to do. So I um, can't see that as an immediate area of opportunity. Yep. Okay. Okay. Anything else? Any any other areas which you you might say? I mean, AI, ML, those sorts of things. I mean, I'm the same as you. I I, I think they're maybe with some of the 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 handset devices, if you're particularly. But I mean, as we know, they would often just go direct through direct through telco rather than through distribution for that. Oh well, no! I mean, there are there. Are, you know, there's, there's a couple of big disties here that in in the ANZ market that that do a lot for for some of the, the handset manufacturers, but yeah, that's a well-established market. It's relatively predictable. Mm. Uh, and and you know, the differentiation in it, yeah, there's not a lot in that. So um, AI and ML, you know, there's so much activity from the hardware through the software side. So yeah, I would I would say that, that from kit upwards, particularly mm. services, anything around those machine learning environments, um, but then that also raises the issue, interesting issue coming back to the verticalization aspect. You know, th- there's a lot of vertical or industry-specific machine learning and AI solutions that are being grown out right now. 
so that comes back full circle to, well, should the DISTI play in that vertical space or not, or are they just better off to take that particular solution? Go, yeah, there you go, that's ragtag. Knock yeah. yourself out rather than specialise in it mm-hmm. themselves. And I, you know, I'd probably agree with you guys on that one, that they just mm-hmm. knock yourself out, take this one, as opposed to specialise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's as good as I've got right now, mate. I'm, uh, yeah. Well, Mark, what, what about you? Anything yeah, else you see? On, on, on a sort of related but unrelated note, um, I noticed yesterday Microsoft announced somewhat quietly uh, that they're shuttering their um, blockchain service on Azure. Yeah, did they? I so, didn't see that. There you go. Yeah, super interesting. So, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no explanation as to why. I assume you know, lack, I assume lack of adoption, uh, but. Yeah, there's been so many use cases around blockchain and people doing stuff with it, but yet not much, obviously, commercial momentum for them. Mm. It's fascinating that they wouldn't they wouldn't just keep it alive uh, in any case. I, I'm, you know, maybe just that that demand is just not there for them. I mean, you still see yeah. IBM pushing it quite strongly as as being people doing it, and most of the large the large integrators have use cases and have have you know proven. Stuff we've seen some government agencies start to talk about it, particularly about that transparency mm. and, you know, um, the the inviolability of 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 the uh, of, of the, the the documentation and you know reducing reducing some of that um, duplication of of documentation across supply chains. But um, yeah. yeah, interesting, very interesting. Yeah, it's been the year of blockchain for what the last four years, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. With a bit of VR thrown in between there somewhere. Right. Uh, in as well at some point and AI kind of got topical but it's always been pushed as this year will be the year and the initiatives and the use cases and yet uh, it's, it's peripheral I would say to, for many organisations right now um, and you just have to get into cryptocurrencies now don't they anyway well, you've got spare kit lying around they could use it to buy it <laughs> yeah. although you, they, you can't buy your, can't buy your Tesla with the uh... Uh, no, Bitcoin. Bitcoin anymore, and you know, to wipe out three hundred. Well, I don't know how many billions was wiped out of the value. Um, yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. On that note, gentlemen, thank you very much. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it there, and and uh, some very interesting points. I think we've we've touched on a few opportunities or non opportunities as well uh, for distribution across the region. There's obviously a hell of a lot more, and we'd be happy to chat if anyone's interested. Just give us a bell. I'm also happy to hear. Any topics that you want us to, uh, to touch on, um, or any guests you'd like us to see to talk to as well, um, more than happy to more than happy to accommodate. So just let us know. And uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next time. This was TRA's you, podcast. What's the opportunity? See you guys. Cheers. Bye.